This is what I needed. Sorry. How embarrassing. Sorry. All right. This is my friend, Reverend uh, Peter Fast. Thanks for being here again, Peter. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah. So he's back for the second of a four-week series on the meaning of covenant as we find in the Bible. And I heard last week was great, and this first service this morning was great too, Peter. So you're going to be blessed as you hear Peter's message today. And as many of you know, Peter works for Bridges for Peace, and they're an organization that supports Israel and desires to build uh, bridges between Christians and Jews in Israel and also around the world. And uh, Peter, you and I became good friends when we had a chance to travel to Israel. Two years ago? Yeah, two years ago, that's right. And so we had a, a group of people from the church that went. Peter led us on a trip there, and we visited. Do you remember the name of the, the building that we worked at? Oh, which one? The, I, yeah, that's exactly that's what I was thinking. Which one? I can't remember the exact name of it, but we worked at a children's home uh, doing some repair work. Well, yeah, the school. Yeah, there was the Vizzo School. Vizzo School, yeah. that's right. And it was a special school that worked specifically with children that were uh, difficult to fit into normal school uh, settings, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so we were able to go in there, do a bunch of work, and it was a really special time because we built lots of great relationships over those few days. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole point of Bridges for Peace, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So it was a great opportunity. Uh, if you want more information, Peter has a number of uh, booklets and pamphlets out in the foyer on Bridges for Peace. And also you have some of your books that you've written. Not anymore. I sold them. Oh, they're all gone. Okay. Well, then you'll have to ask Peter all about them. And do you have some more you can bring next week? Uh, no, I'll have to order some more, but you can buy it online. <laughs> okay. So go to Amazon? Or, yeah. yeah Amazon. Okay. Very good. Get it on Amazon. So that's awesome. <laughs> Uh, Peter is married to Deanna, and I think we have a picture of the family here. There's little Judah in the middle, and he just turned three not long ago. Yes, he did. And then they have a special edition, little Naomi, which uh, was added to their family just oh, or just a month ago, or not quite a month ago. Yes, what was April 30th. April 30th. So she, she's the little one there, not in the middle or on that side. <laughs> the little one right there. Yeah, we never would have figured that out, I don't think, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying, Peter, yeah. Okay, well, anyway, God bless you, Peter, as you share this morning, and uh, we know God has something special to uh, uh, share through you today. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it is a blessing to be here, and it's a blessing to throw the picture up on the, on the wall there, and I did have to put it on my cell phone and try to show for the people at the back with incredible vision, like Superman. Um, but no, this is a blessing to be back here at Cross Church and continue with this series on covenant. Um, today, we're looking at the faith Faith and Abrahamic Covenant. Next week, we'll look at the Mosaic Covenant and holiness. And just so I don't forget, there's a table right outside the back doors there with all kinds of literature. Chris mentioned it briefly, so you can take uh, the literature to your heart's content, except for the, some of the books there. Uh, those cost money. So if you take those, I'll have to find you. <coughs> We're watching you, right? No. Okay, so this is... Um, I'm really excited to, to begin uh, the second part to this four-part uh, series on Covenant. And I just want to just digress a little bit um, and explain a, a kind of a cute, amazing thing that um, I've experienced and many of us have experienced, if you're parents, oh, your relationship with children and how this uh, also kind of affects when we look, read through the scriptures and we think of this idea of God as Father and, and us as little finite individuals and how this relationship is. Because God isn't this gigantic God we cannot understand and have no relationship with this amazing God who is our Father reaches out to us. And so uh, something that I've experienced many times with my little boy Judah is, you know, you're trying to get through to him. You're trying to teach him. You're 
uh, lovingly, and sometimes it's very hard to be loving at times. And I, I recall one time when Judah, would, he used to, at the other flat we lived in, um, he used to get, go to the DVDs and pull them all out and scatter them on the floor, and he loved that because he liked how, just the feel of them and also seeing me putting them all back in. It's like this crazy, deranged game, right? You think if he was a grown adult, he would be kind of a jerk, right? But you love him. He's a little kid. And so he does this, and I'm, I, you know, once I remember saying, Judah, and he goes, yes, and he looks at me, and I'm like, those DVDs have to stay on there. Don't touch the DVDs. And he says, okay. I said, okay. You understand what I'm saying? He says, okay. So you're not going to touch the DVDs, right? Right. No, D- no touching the DVDs, right. I take a step back and watch him. And he's standing. He doesn't even turn and look at me. He's just standing there staring at them. And then he goes like this. <laughs> and isn't that like what the, so much of our relationship with God is? Like God, you know, he, he's our father. And so many times he's saying, Peter... Don't do this. You understand? And I say, yeah. He goes, well, you understand because I've also like written it in my instruction manual. Yeah, I've, I've read that, so you're not going to do it? Nope, I'm not going to do it. And then he steps back, and then I go like this. And he's slow to anger and gracious. And so I think, thank God for that. So starting with our, um, to our second part today, in Romans 4, 1 to 5, it says, What then shall we say that Abraham... Our father has found according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he is something to boast about. But not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, His faith is accounted for righteousness. His faith. So who was Abraham? Like, we don't don't know much about Abraham prior to his calling. You know, we know where he came from, Ur, uh, the Chaldees. We know that uh, his family was pagan. We know that the city was completely pagan. So thus, Abram was obviously influenced by paganism. He saw it. He uh, would have seen idols. He would have seen pagan temples. He would have been part of that culture, and and yet God chooses him. We know he's a great man of faith. So why would God choose him? I'm not trying to like tell you I know God's mind and I know exactly why, but I think it's unique of what is revealed in Scripture, what we have of this mysterious man, Abram, who just shows up on the scene. And this is going to reveal the faith of Abraham, and I really believe this is one of the foundations or one of the reasons of Abram's quality as to why God called him. And it's kind of subliminal. And it's right there though. And when you look at the context and in the language of Hebrew, in Hebrew, which is what the, the, the scriptures were written in, there were no chapters or verses or chapter headings. Okay, All of those are added. It was just text. And how it flowed was if you had this event here, what flowed directly after it was impacted by that event. So when we're understanding and reading context, you got to like see what's before that. Like why? It doesn't just happen. What's the reason? Because there's clues. Moses, in writing this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is revealing what happened. And we see this. We see Abram. He, obviously, his father, Terah, has three sons. Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Okay? And it's interesting we learn something about Haran. We learn he had a son, Lot, and we learn after 
words, he has two daughters, Milcah and Iscah. But the plot thickens. Haran dies. He dies. And we see something incredibly, incredible happen. His surviving brothers marry. Okay? So it says, after Haran dies, Abram takes Sarai as his wife. And then following that, Naor marries Milcah, which the text says is the, one of the daughters of Haran, who is also the father of Iscah. So he had, Haran had two daughters. So who's Iscah? Well, scholars in the text, when you look at that, believe that Iscah is Sarai. So what they're doing is redeeming their brother, his, their dead brother, they're redeeming his daughters to carry on his name, which was an ancient practice, which actually became put into the Levitical law. We even see that with Ruth and Boaz. That's what is happening here. It is a selfless act. It is setting yourself aside and saying, I'm going to redeem my dead brother, to redeem his honor, his name, so that it may continue. And the way the text is set up, Abram does this first, and then maybe Nahor was one of those brothers that, ooh, 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 you know, I want to you know, follow after what my brother's doing. But the, the text uses a unique word that is used only twice in, in all of Scripture. This, uh, this concept of migdal, which means monument. So that word is used when Abram marries Sarai, but that word is also used at the Tower of Babel, that the people built a monument. And what is that? A monument to be known by forever. Well, Abram marries Sarai as this monument to his brother, his brother's lineage, this act of redeeming, selfless act of redeeming. And it is amazing to see that when we look at that action, and it's the first time in Scripture that we're presented with somebody who cares about his brother and his brother's lineage that was cut off. I mean, the, it's not a good like pattern when you look at Cain and Abel. I mean, Cain killed Abel, and then he didn't say, oh, no, I shouldn't have killed him. Well, look, I'm going to try to continue his line. Like, Cain didn't care about Abel. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, Shem and Japheth didn't care about Ham when he was cursed. And you have this, but then you have Abram cares about his brother his, and his brother who has died. And so in this mighty act of faith, he takes Sarai as his wife. And Sarai means princess. Sarah means the world's princess. And we see the, the, the wheels start to turn. But the unique thing is the scriptures break doctor-patient confidentiality. The scriptures reveal that Sarai is barren. She's childless. She can't have children. And this is the amazing thing because in ancient Mesopotamia, this area of the world that Abram came from, it was legal and okay and lawful if your wife was barren to leave her because who on earth is going to try to carry on their lineage with a woman who cannot have children? And in pagan society, that was a bad omen. The gods are against you, so you should leave your wife. Abram never left Sarah. In fact, the scriptures talk about her having beautiful, being beautiful and countenance. And Abram mourned her and wrote the first eulogy. That's where we get that from. When Sarah died, Abram gave a eulogy. He loved his wife. He never left her. However, he married her to redeem his brother. This is an act of faith. He marries her believing she will have an heir, even though she is barren. This is this mighty faith. And then right into chapter 12, we're presented with God speaking to Abram and choosing him and calling him. And he calls him out of the land. Like, look at the obedience of Abram. He lived here, and he goes all the way over there. Like, this is just like, he doesn't get on an airplane. He doesn't get into his nice car or truck or whatever. 
He's walking in a caravan. He takes all of his belongings, and he is faithful. So he is a man of obedience. He is a man of great faith. And through that, God says, I'm going to give you descendants. There's a twofold blessing. I'm going to bless you with physical descendants and give you land. But then I'm going to use that. You're going to be a father of many nations. I'm going to bless the world through you because that is God. That is God. He doesn't pick favorites. He doesn't say, Abraham, you're cool, and all these guys are kind of losers. No. God picks Abraham. He invades history, chooses this man of faith who does something very unique to redeem his dead brother's name. He picks him and says, I'm going to bless the entire world through you because I love the whole world. I'm going to reveal myself through you. I'm going to show the world what real faith is through you. And this is an amazing thing when we look at the sign that follows this. Now, in the ancient world, they had covenants and treaties and contracts. We have those today. I bought a house. I had to sign a mortgage. You know, you make a promise here or there. You swear an oath in court or whatever. You know, that goes a long way. Your signature goes a long way. Um, doing the official legal whatever goes a long way, and it's a necessity. You don't just buy a house by shaking someone's hand. Maybe they did that long ago, but it's, it's contractual. Well, back in the ancient days, they had those same kinds of things, slightly different than ours. And I maybe say, thank the Lord. You know, if I had to take animals and cut them in half to buy a house, you know, that would be quite awkward and smelly and really messy. But here, God calls Abraham to do something he complete the, the norm. Abraham knows about this. You don't see in Scripture him hesitating like, what? You want me to take a bull and try to saw it in half? Like, is this a magic trick or anything like that? No, God meets Abraham where he's at and uses what Abraham knows. So he does this cutting of the covenant in Genesis 15. He's been promised a descendant. He hasn't had the descendant yet, the son yet. And Abraham, in his mind, is trying to solve this or come to grips with this. And he says to God, well, maybe Eleazar of Damascus. Maybe Eleazar can be my, my heir. And which would have been, once again, completely fine in that culture. Because to adopt the son, well, he could have been adopted and become the son of Abraham. But God says no. And he says, go outside and count the stars. Now, if you're a little child, or if somebody dared you, or whatever, said, count the stars, you're going to try to count them. If I tell Judah, my three-year-old, count the stars, you know, he might just, he might kind of end off at five, or go up to 20. He can count pretty high. But he'll try to do it, right? And he'll try to do it innocently, and he'll be all cute. Well, I think, I, I kind of see that in this text, because it's like God says, count the stars, and there's a pause. And then it says, and the Lord said, so shall your descendants be. I like to think that Abraham the child, he's out there and he's going like this. And then God says, you see that? Even more than that, so shall your descendants be. And then God says, bring these animals. And this isn't weird to the, the, the people those days, but he brings animals and he cuts them in half. Now, a cutting of the covenant was done often between two parties with witnesses. And those two parties would come together, whether it's purchasing land or something else. Uh, maybe even a bridal dowry, and they would come to an agreement, and then to ratify the agreement would bring animals, cut them in half, and then pass between the pieces. And regardless of social standing, whether one was rich or one was poor, when they passed between the pieces, they're considered equal. That's what's happening here. And then, here's the kicker, if either one was to go against the covenant and say, I didn't charge you enough, or you know, I want another $10,000, or you know, not, that's the wrong woman. I wanted this woman to be my wife or whatever. Um, then if you, someone tries to back out of it, may they be like these animals. 
May my life be forfeit. So what happens? Abraham is a man of faith. He's obediently doing this. He's cutting up these animals. He's doing this. He waits. says even until dusk and the birds come and he chases them away and all this. But he does it. But he's got to be thinking, how can I pass between the pieces? I am not equal with God. I can't be equal with God. This is impossible. However, maybe God could, you know, miraculously cover Abraham and get him through the pieces and so he could survive not being burned up and he could go between the pieces. But then what if he, when he gets on the other side, 30 seconds later, when he fails to uphold this, he would have to die. So this is, like, this is problematic for Abraham. But what happens? God puts him in a vision. Oh, sorry, he puts him to sleep and he has a vision. Abraham has a vision. And he sees the presence of God pass between the pieces as this fiery pot, this oven, this... This fire passes between the pieces. God is faithful. Abraham cannot be. God is everlastingly faithful. Abraham could never do this, but God can. So God passes between the, the pieces, and then what follows? He, he gives the boundaries of the land. He, he tells them about this covenant, the inheritance, and he, and he gives this incredible prophecy, really. It's your, your descendants will be enslaved. You are strangers. You will be enslaved, but you will come out. We have this incredible thing that actually even ties to the Mosaic Covenant because we have the fulfillment of the coming out, the Exodus. But it, God gives this, and this is unconditional. This, isn't, this, is, this is given as a gift and a reward to Abraham's faith. And that comes in the second uh, covenant, ancient covenant that this, we see happening in Genesis 15. So the cutting of the covenant, but we also see an ancient covenant um, in action here called the Royal Grant Treaty. And a Royal Grant Treaty was made between a great king and his faithful vassal. And what the great king said was, wow, you are a faithful vassal. To reward you, no strings attached. This is unconditional. To reward you, I'm going to bring you, I'm going to give you this land for you and all your descendants forever. It's tax exempt. And even a successor of the great king cannot change this. That was a royal grant treaty. We have archaeological evidence of these things, and we see it in the text. And the royal grant treaty always spelled out boundaries of land as well. And so we see both of them in action. God is the faithful king. Abraham is the faithful vassal. And this is amazing when we consider it. So the sign has land. The promised son is through this. Circumcision is through this. The sign, uh, physical identification None of these things save an individual. So just because you're circumcised or the promised son or they're living in the land, that doesn't give automatic salvation. This is a reward of faith. The salvation comes through faith. And the faith was there before the covenant. The faith was there before the covenant. But this is an expression of God's unconditional covenant that is based on Abraham's faith. Unconditional means just that. God's love is unconditional. This is not conditional love, which is not love at all. This is God rewarding faith and sealing Abraham for all the world to see. This impacts us. This isn't some Old Testament concept, some ancient concept. This directly impacts us right now in this room. God's covenant desires a relationship. He wants men and women within that covenant to love him honestly obediently, with one's full heart and being loyally like a marriage. I mean, when you take out all of those things from marriage, what do you get? You really get nothing. But what God wants, love the Lord your God 
with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your might. However, God knows we're in a process of sanctification when we trust in Him, when we cleave unto Him and cling to Him, when we become children of God, we're in this process of sanctification. He knows we are broken. That's why we need Him. He knows we are in a broken world, that our flesh is weak, that our hearts are fragmented, which is why He has grace. He extends grace. He is slow to anger. He wants to forgive and pardon. And this is ultimately why we need to be saved. We are lost without Him. But His covenant, that is forever. That is eternal. And His covenant draws us like it drew Abraham thousands of years ago. And it's attested over and over and over in Scripture. So Abraham becomes this model of faith. You want to know what faith is? Look to Abraham. Everybody in the New Testament did. I mean, Paul, Jesus, all of them. They're all Jews. They all have the Scriptures. They look at Abraham as a model of faith. This is what we need to do. Genesis 15, 6 says, His faith was accounted to him as righteousness. It doesn't say his works. It doesn't say because he was a nice guy or he was good looking or had a great beard and used beard oil. He, it was his faith, was accounted to him as righteousness. And Romans 4, like I just read, attests to that. Galatians 3 tells us that. So he didn't just obey physical commands like some drone or robot. He trusted in who God was and is, and he believed in his promises for him, his wife, his family, and the future of his descendants. His faith was so great, he was going to sacrifice his son in obedience. And the scriptures tell us, knowing full well and believing God, if he had done that, God would have raised Isaac from the dead. Because why? Because that's the promised son. So if I kill him, or if I have to sacrifice him and he doesn't come back, what, go, what happens with the whole promised son thing? So Abraham was willing to do that as awful and as tough as that would have been. He believed, if I do this, if God even allows me to go this far, he will be raised from the dead. And that is amazing. And we know that Isaac wasn't sacrificed. It was as if he was. But the angel of the Lord appeared and said, there's a ram. There's a substitute. Take that. So Abraham knew God to be a God of covenant. He knew God to be the only true God, but nevertheless, he knew God as a God of relationship, promise, and holiness, and he clung to him in faith. He followed him across the world. He believed in the promised son through a barren wife. Like, that doesn't even happen. If you're barren, you cannot have children. That is why you are called barren. But he believes that God can supernaturally open up the womb, and I will stay with this woman because I love her and I believe in the promise. And he, ple he pleaded with God to spare the righteous. Remember at Sodom and Gomorrah? He was willing to sacrifice his only son to obey the Lord. And out of Abraham's seed, if it, only had, if it just stopped there, we, we would have really nothing to talk about. But out of Abraham's seed, God is faithful, and out of his seed will one, would one day come the Savior. Out of his seed. So he becomes this, the model of faith in God. And this model of faith would be known forever to replicate that of Abraham. Like I said, if you want to know what real faith is, start with Abraham. He is essential. So meaning, our faith should look like his. Our faith should look like his. Because Abraham looked forward to God's promises. He believed in God's promises. Revelation 13.8 says, 
and declares, the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. It was always God's intent to bridge this gap and to reach out to humanity and extend grace. It's not like one age was the law and the other age is grace. God doesn't change. He reveals the law and grace at the same time. If it wasn't for the law, we wouldn't even know. But he extends grace. If it was only the law, we would be condemned. But he extends grace. There's a marriage between the two. So Abraham looks forward. Wow, redemption. God, this is amazing. I believe in him and I will cleave unto him. And we look back. Wow, God, look at the cross. Atonement. I believe in this. I believe he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so with this covenant, it's like a circle. It was always God's intention to bridge this gap with him and, human, and, and mankind. And he chose to bridge this gap, with, starting with Abraham. Obviously, he was at work before. But he was starting, to, he bridged this gap with Abraham, whose physical descendants, Israel, would act like a beacon of truth and promise in this world. They're a beacon of truth and promise even in their disobedience. Why? Because we see the fairness and balance of God. You know, if you do this, you'll be blessed. If you don't, there's consequences. So when we see Israel suffering with consequences, we know God's righteous. When we see Israel getting blessed, we know God's righteous. He's constant. It's the same thing with us. So he chose to bridge this gap, starting with Abraham, whose physical descendants, Israel, would act like a beacon of truth and promise in this world, which would lead to the birth of the church, a remnant of Israel, and believers in Christ, Gentile believers, being grafted into the olive tree of Israel, and then through Israel's unbelief, through Israel's unbelief, which was part of God's plan, he didn't get taken off guard with that, the gospel would go out because of their unbelief, but then God will not forget Israel, and in turn he will restore them and redeem them, for they're the apple of his eye. And this is his plan. Once, like I said last week, with Israel he took unbelief and made it into belief. So he has not replaced Israel nor broken his covenant and we know this because of the terms of the cutting of the covenant. If anything, if anything, we look at that cutting of the covenant and we say, he cannot. That doesn't mean free ticket. That doesn't mean you could do whatever you want. But he made that covenant and the oath he swore with Isaac and, and to Jacob, that everlasting covenant. If he breaks it, well then he, we have a serious problem because he passed between the pieces by himself. We have a serious problem. God would be a liar. He would cease to exist. He wouldn't be God. He couldn't be God. But he's an unconditional, loving God with a plan who judges sin and, and unbelief and wickedness. But he holds up his word. His word is eternal. His word is eternal. That gives us assurance that through our faith, this relationship, all of this, it, it goes inward as it goes outward. So his choosing them was to be uh, into a relationship of faith they were chosen to be a nation of priests and a light in this world, and they are. Once again, like whether they were doing right or wrong, they are a light. God chose them. His ambassador nation. It's an amazing thing when we connect with that. So that the covenant with Abraham in the physical sense is eternal, and the land is a part of that. But in Leviticus 25, 23 to 24, it's not their land. God says, it's my land. You are stewards. So with covenant land comes, com comes covenant responsibility in regards to Israel because God has his limits, but that doesn't cancel out the promise. And there were two things for Israel that they had to do to remain in the land. One, honor God, 
and two, love their neighbor as themselves. This isn't a, a New Testament concept. This is a Levitical, this is a, a, a scriptural command. Love their neighbor. Treat the widow, orphan, and stranger with love. The stranger is not somebody else in your community that you know, you know agrees with them, but you've just never shook hands with them in the sanctuary or the foyer. No, the stranger is the outsider, the person on the outside. If you do these things, you can dwell in the land. When you don't do these things, punishment will come, hardships. And if you keep doing this, you know, because I'm slow to anger, so I'll send you prophets, I'll call out to you, I want you back. But if you keep doing this, you got to leave. But because I'm faithful, I can't forget about Abraham, I will bring you back. And that's an incredible, powerful image. He promised to restore them in the physical sense, and we see that through the scriptures today. And he promised to redeem them in the spiritual when they look upon whom, him whom they've pierced and cry out to him as the prophet Zechariah says. Now, don't get this wrong. This isn't automatic. Like I said, this isn't automatic salvation. Because they're circumcised or in the land or because of the promise through Isaac, that doesn't give them automatic salvation. There is still faith. The only way is only through faith that declares somebody righteous and faith in God. But it is an amazing monument to who God is. He is eternal and he chooses the physical. This isn't fairy, fairy stuff. This isn't fluffy cloud stuff or flying pigs. This is real. This is a God who chooses as a monument. And it's not really Abraham's monument. Abraham looks to God. So when everybody, anybody of conscience, anybody reaching out to God, anybody reading the scripture, when they read and see what happened, they're really seeing God. They're really seeing God's uh, work through Abraham and in his life, because he's covenant-keeping. He is covenant-keeping. So the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that is who he is. He is faithful. So when we, as believers, because a lot of people, they, they wrestle, how do I, you know, how does this, how do I live this? Or how does this impact me? And then those are great questions. Um, when you examine Abraham's faith, this is the crux of the matter. When you examine Abraham's faith, covenant, and you look at promise to Israel and that, that grafted in of the church, when you look at that faith, this should rock us. It really should. Because without it, we have no foundation. There is nothing. Like it, 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 If you, you yank that away, that is the, the, the breath of the Scriptures that is God revealing to us who he is through these human, these amazing human uh, followers. So for us as Gentile believers, when we look at the faith of Abraham and when we trust in God, the God of Abraham, this isn't some other God, when we trust and say, I follow the same God that spoke to Abraham. That is who I follow. And through that, we have this whole revelation of what that involves. But when we cling to God, we become adopted sons of Abraham through faith. So this means something. Galatians 3 talks about us being adopted sons of Abraham faith. It's like he becomes our papa, our, our father Abraham, our dad, our, uh, a kinship. This draws and connects you to him, whether you like it or not. If you are a follower of the God of the Bible, if you are a follower of Jesus, this connects us. Paul wrote about that in Galatians in his letter to the Galatians. 
to the people in Galatia. In Hebrews 11, it, the heroes of the faith, when you become a believer, it connects us to all these Jews. It's amazing. Of all these people that become our heroes, of these people with flaws, none of them are perfect. They were all sinners, but they all believed in God. They all walked in mighty faith. And all of them, it would have been credited to them as righteousness. But we see Abraham starting there and Sarah and this incredible, this incredible lineup of heroes. Well, we become joined to them in this amazing sense. We inherit, you inherit, this history. Now all of a sudden, everything in here means something to us. We relate because we see God through it all. Ephesians 2, 11 to 13, describes us as we were so far away. Okay, and I'm paraphrasing this. It was like you and I and all of us, boy, at one time we were pagans, you know? We were like so far away. We were godless. We were doing things with our bodies that were just horrendous. We were, had horrible practices. We were out and self-centered and just look at, you know, worshiping all these gods and worshiping creation and lost. And then, but God has gathered us and he brought us in to the commonwealth of Israel. That is just an amazing thing. He didn't have to. God didn't even have to choose Abraham. In fact, right at the garden, he could have just walked away. He is God. But we're part of the commonwealth. We're joined. We have that stamp in our passport, or that visa, that open-ended visa. In Romans 9 to 11, it describes us as being grafted, grafted into the wild olive shoot. Uh, into this olive tree. A wild olive shoot is not supposed to be grafted into a healthy tree, but we are. We don't replace the root. The root supports you. The root cannot be withering or dying. Otherwise, all the branches will die. This tree is Israel, and we're grafted in as Gentile believers, not to replace, to get nourishment from it. Being spiritual sons of Abraham and having a rich heritage and being in the commonwealth of Israel, this is nourishment. And ultimately, it's Abraham and his faith and God's covenant and his word. So this is the grace of God. What should not have been joined was joined. This is God's um, whole purpose in salvation. This is God's purpose in reaching out. And all of this was only possible through the Lord Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. As John 4.22 states, salvation is of the Jews. Jesus was Jewish. He comes through this nation for it to reach the, the suffering, the, the lost house of Israel, but also the world. He came to minister and teach and walk among us and die and shed his blood and rise from the dead in his glorified body to deal the final death blow to sin. He sits at the right hand of the Father, showing all the world that everything is accomplished. And then, doesn't end there, he will come back to reign from the city of the great king, Jerusalem. He is faithful to Israel. He is faithful to his church and he is faithful to you. Do you have the faith of Abraham? Do you want the faith of Abraham? Because it comes at a cost. Look to the author of that faith. Look to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And look to Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just proclaim who you are, Lord. We praise your name. We are not worthy, but you have chosen us. You have revealed yourself. We were of darkness and we didn't want the light, but the light came into the world. You are the living word. You reveal 
yourself to us like you revealed yourself to Abraham in the same way. It is only by our faith, not by just sitting in a pew, attending a church service or doing nice things or charity or whatever. It is only through faith and believing that this is credited, that we can be atoned, that we can be saved, that we can spend eternity with you. Thank you, Lord God, for how you revealed yourself in your word, for how you reveal yourself in this world you've created, for how you reveal yourself to us individually, day by day, for how you lead us by your spirit, for how you equip us, instruct us, for how you strengthen the body, for being a covenant-keeping God, for not breaking your word. Oh, Lord, we are humbled by this. Help us, Lord, strengthen our faith and give us courage. Help us persevere and build our faith on a foundation that is sure on rock, on your word. Help us to look to these incredible people in the scriptures that lived and modeled this faith. Help us to recognize people among us who model the same faith. Help us model that same faith. Help us encourage one another rebuke and admonish and love one another always. May we reflect the faith of Abraham. In your name, amen. So I'll see you next week. God bless. And next week we'll talk about the Mosaic Covenant and holiness. Blessings.